Earlier this week, the Institute of Ideas Economy Forum held an event to discuss the UK economy after Brexit. The following is the opening remarks of the Forum's convener, Rob Lyons. As the uh, baseball legend Yogi Berra said, it's tough to make predictions, particularly about the future. I'm not going to make any predictions about the future, but hopefully he's outlined some trends or tendencies, talk about a little bit about what's happened already, uh, and then sort of introduce some ideas to, for the, what might happen in the future. So, what's happened? Uh, well, the immediate aftermath, I think, after the, the vote to leave was announced, I think it was a bit of a shock if you saw the... Uh, Obviously, all the hedge funds and whatever had had private polling done for them and were widely expecting to uh, see a remain vote. So it was a bit of a shock from about sort of four o'clock in the morning that suddenly prices started to plunge when they realised it was a vote to leave. There was a predictable initial panic. Um, it's worth noting that uh, the stock markets, have, yeah, after a first few days plunge, have largely returned to normal. Indeed, the, uh, the FTSE 100 hit a 12-month high today after the announcement of better-than-expected growth figures for the second quarter. And obviously, not that's not post-Brexit growth figures, but they were still a little bit higher than people had been expecting. Uh, on the other hand, the pound is down compared to pre-Brexit levels, having been around $1.50 before the, vote was, the result was announced, but also last autumn again, around $1.50. It's now just above $1.30, so that's quite a substantial fall, over 10%. On the one hand, that means that exports will be cheaper, uh, but on the other hand, our imports will be more expensive. And since we import more than we export, that that could be a problem in terms of uh, prices. Although you know, it may have some, make some dent in the ten billion pound uh, trade deficit that uh, the UK uh, was announced to have had in May. But then again, UK exports don't seem to be very sensitive to the the value of the pound, and and it doesn't seem to ha- make that much of a difference to how much we actually sell abroad. In terms of downsides the first kind of survey of of people in business the purchasing managers index was down sharply post the referendum result suggesting us there's going to be a sharp slowdown in act activity business activity over the next few months but we shall wait and see that is a survey rather than a measure of anything that's actually happening on the ground in terms of forecasts the imf said that the, the uk economy expects it to grow by 1.3% in next year, but that's 0.9% down on its estimate estimate made in April. But it doesn't expect a full-blown recession either. So some, perhaps some of the, uh, the gloomier sort of assessments or, or of the immediate impact were looked a bit overblown. One of the questions that was asked in the, re- the referendum debate was, well, maybe if we vote to leave, then firms will leave the UK. Um, there's been a couple of interesting initial signals suggested that that's, at the moment, there doesn't seem to be a great drive to do that. Wells Fargo, a huge US financial institution, has announced a £300 million headquarters in the UK. GlaxoSmithKline has just announced a new round of investment on pretty much the same sort of scale. There are about £270 million at its UK production facilities. So talk of a flight of firms seems a bit premature, though... That obviously depends on our future arrangements with the EU. And some financial firm staff may be moved to countries within the single market because of this thing called passporting, which allows companies to trade um, across the EU uh, if they have a, a base within the single market. So some companies may decide to move some of their staff uh, to, we've been talk of Dublin or Frankfurt, to just kind of cover themselves in that, in that uh, eventuality. 
on the other hand, the government can do things uh, quite quickly to uh, to make the trading environment more uh, um, more helpful to business. So, after the referendum, George Osborne suggested that corporation tax may come down to fifteen percent fairly soon, um, from twenty percent at the moment, to compensate businesses, if you like, if there's any question over uh, tariffs or whatever in the future. So this, so the, the but the real uncertainty is about our arrangement arrangements with Europe in the future, and that's. So Theresa May, since she became Prime Minister, has been repeating this mantra, Brexit means Brexit. It's pretty clear that the government doesn't really have a clear policy on what Brexit should mean, let alone whether it's in a position to negotiate what it wants with the rest of the EU. Some of the possibilities, well, a much-touted idea is to come to an arrangement whereby the UK leaves the EU but remains within the European economic area. This is the so-called Norway option. That means the UK would still have continuing membership of the single market, so be bound by the rules of the single market, but would have free tr- free trade uh, within the, within that market as well. But it would also have to accept free movement for EU citizens, uh, as and obviously that was something of an issue in the election campaign, if, even if it, the, how big an issue I think was a bit overstated. And there's also been talk about an emergency break for, for the UK, a seven-year break on absolute free movement for EU citizens. So, yeah, it's not, it wouldn't be sort of like the biggest shock if something like, some deal like that uh, were to be the outcome of the negotiations, that we, we stay within the single market uh, and we accept free movement perhaps with some modification. However, Theresa May has already said that she seems to be making immigration central to the debate. And uh, David Davis, the newly appointed Secretary of State for Brexit, or I'm sure a, there is a fancier name, but has talked about a sharp reduction in uh, immigration uh, to sort of fit in with the, uh, the Conservative policy on reducing it to the tens of thousands. The worst case scenario uh, in terms of our arrangements with Europe would be to have no specific free trade deal with uh, Europe at all, in which case we would have to operate under World Trade Organization rules with the EU. That means that there would be tariffs imposed on UK goods being sold to Europe. They vary. They seem to average about 4%, but it, it is a, I did try to look this up, and the rules seem to be Byzantine um, and very, very specific. As mu- it could be as much as 10%. So cars apparently have 10% uh, tariffs uh, under this arrangement. So they're not, they're, they're by no means big tariffs that are the sort that would kill trade with Europe altogether, but it would certainly make uh, trade a little bit more difficult in certain sectors in particular. On the other hand, there has been a lot of talk about freer trade with countries outside the EU. Um, specifically, that seems to have been talked up in relation to Australia, and also there's even been talk about some kind of freer trade deal with China. Um, Liam Fox, who's the new international trade minister, has talked about bilateral and plurilateral a word I've never heard of before, plurilateral agreements with countries that are economically similar to the UK rather than ones that happen to be nearby. So we don't know what's going to happen. We haven't even sort of triggered Article 50 yet, never mind gone through the negotiation process, and the government itself doesn't have a clear idea of what it wants to do um, either. So that uncertainty is reflected in the range of estimates put forward by a variety of institutions and economists for the effect of the uh, of Brexit. Most of them think that the effect would be negative on the UK economy. It would be substantial, but actually relatively small, um, depending on the deal. So 1% or 2% of GDP would be kind of the central 
forecast of a kind of uh, effect down, down to downward effect on GDP. But if there was a, an absolutely terrible punitive deal imposed by the EU in terms of trade, then some forecasters have put that quite a bit higher at sort of over 5% cut in GDP um, over a period of time, not necessarily immediately. The Treasury report, which was touted by George Osborne before the referendum, you know, so George Osborne kept saying this figure, four households will be £4,300 worse off after uh, if we leave the EU. Well, we've left, we're planning to leave the EU. was in relation to the UK getting a fairly unfavourable deal and also... And, and really, amount, what the figures amounted to was that by 2030, the UK economy would only have grown by 31% instead of 37%. So even with a terrible deal, we'll get richer, you know, if everything goes to plan, but not as much richer as if we had stayed in the EU. That seems to be the, the conclusion from, from that. What seems to clear to me is that the gloomiest predictions have tended to disappear for the most part. Now, there kind of was a bit of project fear stuff going on, um, and now there's much more of a sense of getting on with it. So Osborne's much-touted idea of a punitive emergency budget has gone, along with uh, George himself. For me, there, there is, there's, there's broader questions at the heart of the economic debate about what happens to the UK economy. So we could spend a lot of time talking about a Norway deal or a Swiss deal or a Canadian deal or a WTO arrangement for the future. But I think that that probably obscures the, the, the most important question, which is that the UK and European economies are moribund and have been for some considerable time. So David Cameron, in his resignation speech, I think was completely wrong to say that the UK economy is fundamentally strong. I think that's a point that Philip Hammond has, has repeated today. And indeed, indeed, I think a more pertinent question in some ways is to examine the UK economy before the votes so that we you know, where are we now? And there's an interesting summary of, of some of those questions by the Bank of England's chief economist, Andy Haldane. He made a speech on the 30th of June in Port Talbot, and he gives a fairly bleak assessment of where the economy is at. So in the speech, he's talking about a visit he made to Nottingham last year. Yeah, normally, when he does a visit like this, he goes and sees the local business leaders and also a few officials and whatever and talks to them about the state of things. But on this occasion, he decided to meet some some other charities and uh, voluntary organisations at a local community centre as well. And he says, I began by speaking about the UK's economic recovery. I never got as far as the improvement in the jobs market or surging confidence. I was stopped in my tracks by a forest of furrowed brows and a phalanx of probing questions, not all of them gentle. <laughs> what exactly do you mean by recovery, when asked? My charity is dealing with 50% more homeless people than three years ago. Every other charity in the room had similar stories to tell, whether it was food banks, mental health problems or drug addiction. All of the numbers were up. The language of recovery simply did not fit their facts. And he goes on to, get, to offer some hard facts and figures on this. So looking at the, the economy as a whole, he says GDP is now 7% above its pre-recession levels. But then he adds, at a corresponding stage of recovery after the UK recessions of the 70s, 80s and 90s, GDP was 6 19 or 18% higher, respectively. Even after the Great Depression of the 1930s, GDP was 16% higher by this stage. So those with a long enough memory, this time's recovery is likely to feel quite anemic relative to those in the past. Moreover, he notes that the GDP per head, because the population has been rising since uh, 2008 and the crash, 
actually GDP per head is only 1% above its pre-crisis peak, and that real-term earnings are still around 5% below their peak. I mean, there's a claim by the TUC that earnings are actually 10% below their Real, real, in real terms, below their peak um, in 2007 or 8. So certainly the, 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 nobody's been getting rich and uh, there's a lot of people working part-time that would prefer to be working full-time and so on. So while some parts of the economy have made a reasonable sort of recovery, there's a lot of places where that, that just really hasn't been felt. We also have to think about Europe as well, so you know, because we are talking about our relationship with Europe, and it's worth remembering that many of the Eurozone con economies are even in an even more parlous state than the UK economy. So, there's been much talk in recent weeks of a crisis in Italy, of even the, the, the prospect of quitterly, um, which is the equivalent of Brexit. <laughs> um, so Italy's economy has not grown at all since the introduction of the euro. So that's 15 years, probably even longer it hasn't grown. There's, uh, it's, Italy's banks look vulnerable and undercapitalized, and they are creaking under the weight of more and more what they call non-performing loans. So there, there are the potential for a sort of banking crisis in Italy seems quite substantial. Uh, the Prime Minister Matteo Renzi is facing a, a referendum on political reforms in October, if that goes the wrong way, then his government could fall. We could end up with a government led by the Five Star Movement, who are Eurosceptic. <clears throat> and you know, something bad happening to Italy would be much more serious for the Eurozone than the disaster in Greece or the recessions in Spain and Germany. Uh, and even you know, the French economy is stumbling along, barely growing at all. And even the German economy, which we obviously look upon with envy, you know, <coughs> export-led, you, know, you know, highly productive economy has actually struggled to grow by more than 2% in the past four or five years. I mean, that, again, it's, uh, while it's, you know, relative to a lot of other places in Europe, it's, it's doing okay by, by German standards or Chinese standards. Certainly, it's, uh, <coughs> uh, it's, it's not um, uh, vigorous. And I think the, fun the fundamental problem, we've talked about it before in this forum, but it's worth mentioning again, is the stagnation of productivity in, in the UK economy. In fact, the, it, more generally in the European economy. Phil's argued before that what's required is a real shake-up in the economy. And that will probably need to be led by government intervention. Um, there isn't, it's difficult to see that there is a player in the economy that could organise that kind of shake-up uh, in, in production. Uh, not intervention in the, in the sense of propping up failing businesses. In fact, there's probably been a bit too much of that through easy credit arrangements and stuff like that. But to restructure the, the, the economy broad, more broadly to try and recreate the, the conditions for economic growth. And that's one of the possibilities that Brexit opens up when, when, you, when Britain is, as, as part of the European Union, it's very easy to defer to Brussels in terms of what we do in terms of uh, economic growth and, in, and our, our various policies. And so a lot of the kind of policy making a bit capacity in, in Whitehall in, in a lot, on a lot of these issues has diminished. I mean, I, I was talking to a, someone from the National Farmers Union a few weeks ago, and they were saying, oh, yes, you know, we you know, we don't really do policy because it's all set by Brussels. We'll have to come up with our own policy about things. That could be interesting, couldn't it? It's just like, it's like, um, and that was before the vote. So, um, it's, it, so, so you can see there's a, a lot of sectors people have just stopped thinking about it in the UK. And, now, and this Brexit really poses the question about how we go about managing our own economy again. And obviously it's much easier to have a democratic debate about that 
because it's you know closer to home you know, because we're, we're used to national media national debate about these things um, and you know even certain aspects of state intervention have been uh, restricted by uh, EU policy so so for example the idea of bailing out port, the port all the steelworks even if I think that was probably would probably be a bad idea um, nonetheless there isn't the capacity to do that because that's illegal state aid even the sort of the deal that for the Hinkley Point nuclear power station which may never be built even though it's all funded by bill payers, is still like being questioned. There's been too much state intervention by people around Europe. So it is interesting in light of that that Theresa May seems more alive to that problem of productivity and much more open to the idea of an industrial strategy than her predecessor. This may just be politician looking for some something to say that marks her out as different from her predecessors, but, but at least it was interesting in her speech in Birmingham before... The leadership contest got some stitched up, but you know, uh, she was making her case for <laughs> being prime minister. She did at least raise that issue. My own view, I think, maybe for, for the sake of, sake of of democracy, we should aim to be as sovereign as possible. Maybe get out the single mar- market, control our own immigration. Even if I think that we should have free trade and free movement, perhaps would be my my preference that we control as much of this here so that we can hold our politicians to account. And there is a certain sense in which Europe in the past two or three decades has kind of circled the wagons as other parts of the world have become more dynamic. There's a sense of, well, there's 500 million of us here, you know, we've got a market, we could, we'll be all right kind of thing, rather than uh, attempting to really grapple with the economic problems that it's got. And I think we're, we're, we could be in for a long period of stagnation if, uh, if, if that were allowed to continue. So one, one thing is clear, though, is that, that this idea of discussing the economy is much more open for grabs now than it was prior to that vote. I think that there's, there is... There's serious discussion about what the future of the economy is, and if we do Brexit, then you know we'll have much more control over what we do in the future than we had on the 22nd of June. <laughs> <laughs>